0: Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. This morning we will be dealing with Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Acts 1, 4 and 5. Let's pray. Father, we need your presence in the person of God. Of the Holy Spirit who eternally proceeds from you and the Son in your love that we may taste the joy that you are as God so help me this morning teach help us all yearn for the work and the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, this is week three in the book of Acts. Remember, last week, we saw from verse one, Luke wrote volume one about all that Jesus began to do and teach, and then he writes volume two to say Jesus went on doing in teaching. And last week, we saw that his Hand-picked apostles needed three crucial things. One is there in verse 2. The resurrected Jesus looking at them and giving them the great command, the great commission through the Holy Spirit working in their heart. Secondly, they needed over that 40-day period many, many resurrection appearances, meals with, classroom experiences with, which is the third point, Jesus speaking to them about the kingdom of God, unfolding the Bible, the scripture to them over and over and over about the events that happened in his life and where they're written in the Hebrew scripture. Now, We come to verses 4 and 5, and Jesus tells them that there is one more crucial thing they're going to need to perform their ministry. Let's read it. And while staying with them, and probably the word has the connotation of eating with them, while staying or eating with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, here's Jesus, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so because of that term, baptized with the Holy Spirit, or the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I have to put my exposition of this text in the context of the last 112 years of church history. So, let me start it this way and tell you what I mean. The wind of the Spirit blew sovereignly through my life back in 1981 and I found myself a Christian, a believer in Jesus. I found myself to the local church over on Prairie Boulevard in Torrance, California that became my church home and family for the first ten years of my life. And that church, which was my family, was born out of Pentecostalism. So in the early 1980s, as I led up the street evangelism team, almost every Saturday, for most all-day Saturday, with people with me, I would either be witnessing about Jesus down at the Redondo Beach Pier or in old folks' homes. And I would run across other Christians at times. Yes, I believe in Jesus, And when I would do that and say, yeah, they have a strong, sincere profession of faith in Christ like I do. They're saved. I'm saved. Then I would go to phase two. Oh, okay, that's awesome. But since then, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues? And that mentality that I had, it didn't just come out of my thinking of reading scripture alone. It came from the historical roots of Pentecostalism. And Pentecostalism is, is that which began in Topeka, Kansas, and then in 19- 1906... In downtown Los Angeles, a little street over there called Azusa, there were meetings every night in this revival for three years. I mean, it went longer than that, but it was really strong for three years, and they call it the Azusa Street Revival. And for the most part, most church-going, there are church-going people for the most part, would go to these meetings, and they're members of churches, and by the thousands and thousands and thousands, they would experience speaking in other tongues, and this was a huge emphasis. And so, for many of them, it wasn't just that their excitement for Jesus just would—it just blew up and expanded. And they go back to their Lutheran church, their Methodist church, their Baptist church, the Pentecostal church. I mean, excuse me, it didn't exist yet. There, uh, I don't know. Throw in an Episcopalian church. And others would be infected and go to meetings with them. But eventually many of them would be kicked out because of what they were doing and saying about it. And eventually, therefore, other churches called Pentecostal churches were formed in Pentecostal denominations, like the Assemblies of God, like the Four Square Gospel, etc. And one of the main central doctrines of Pentecostalism revolves around this term, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it goes like this, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is distinct from being saved or from new birth, but the real key is this, the norm Throughout the church age, is that those two things are experienced with a time gap. Born again, then down the road, five years later, 30 years later, or never, a person is then baptized in the Holy Spirit. And how do you know? By the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And so, what comes out of Pentecostalism is the idea that there are two big, huge blessings for the Christian who is being saved. The first is being saved, new birth, having saving faith. That's the first blessing. Then there is the second blessing called being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which comes after the first blessing, if it comes to you, if you ask for it, if you receive it. And so the sign of whether you have been baptized in spirit is, do you speak in unknown languages that you didn't learn that are inspired by the Holy Spirit? And so the lingo goes Have you received the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues? Pentecostalism. Now, what I want to do is say, how do they get there? Especially for young people raised up in here, they haven't heard this stuff. So what I want to do, I want to preach to you for about six minutes and try to show you why that's true. If it's true... This is how I used to do it. So what you do is you open up in your New Testament to the book of Acts. And like we have done the last couple weeks, Jesus is resurrected from the dead with many appearances. He breathed on His apostles, said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He gave them the command through the Holy Spirit. These guys and others are born again. And then Jesus says to them, Wait. That's our passage. But wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what we have are these born again, saved, faith-filled, Holy Spirit-indwelt apostles and others, at least 120, already. They're Christians. But they have not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's a time gap. Jesus said, wait. Wait for what? The baptism means the immersing in. Not a trickle, but to be dunked and immersed in the Holy Spirit for empowerment. Look, look at verse 8. Jesus refers to it again. But you will, about ten days later, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then Jesus ascends. And they go to sleep one night. And the next day they meet together. They have meetings. They have prayer meetings. They have Bible study. And they go to sleep again. And these believers meet again. They deal with who's going to replace Judas. And they go to sleep again. And they do that again and again for 10 days as genuine Christians. And then you come to chapter 2 of Acts. And we read this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled. With the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The time gap is clear. They're already Christians, they were born again. Then, more than a week later, they received the second blessing the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's the model. That's not here, Here's how it goes. That's not just descriptive. That's prescriptive on how it ought to happen. In other words, the time gap between new birth and the baptism in the Spirit is the norm for the Christian church. New birth and the baptism in the Holy Spirit are two separate experiences and here's the reality throughout church history many people are born again without having been baptized in the holy spirit until their death so that's why i in the 1980s would run across christians i'd say okay now have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. It's right there, Acts 2. Then you read on. Turn to Acts 8. Philip goes up to Samaria, that region, and preaches the gospel. This is about a year after Pentecost, and we read this in Acts 8, verse 12. But when they, the Samaritans, believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So there they are. They became Christians. They believed. And it was Sealed and confirmed through water baptism. And now you read on what Luke says. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them, that is, from Jerusalem, Peter and John, who came down to Samaria and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Why? For he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they, Peter and John, the apostles, laid their hands on them, and they, post-new birth, at least four days probably, then they received the Holy Spirit. So there it is again. They received the Holy Spirit subsequent to becoming saved, to having new birth. Now you turn over to Acts chapter 10. Peter goes into the Gentile home of the centurion, Cornelius. Probably a big place. And they jammed, who knows, 100, 200 people in there. To hear this Jew, Peter, preach this gospel of Jesus. And so we pick up in verses 44 of chapter 10. While Peter was still saying these things, preaching Jesus to them, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the fellow Christian Jews who were with Peter, with all these Gentiles in his house, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. They saw it. But why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So how did they know? He says, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just As we did, he's got to be referring to the day of Pentecost. Then you turn 20 years later to Acts chapter 19. Paul is way up in Asia Minor to the ends of the earth in Ephesus. And we read this in 19, starting, I don't know, 4. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. On hearing this, hold on a second, because they haven't even heard the gospel yet. They only heard of repentance through John the Baptist. And so Paul preaches the gospel. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul then had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them after their baptism. Came on them And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There it is. And so the Pentecostal theology goes, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a second blessing of empowerment for ministry, life, body ministry. And it always comes subsequently to new birth. and As a result, There are some, actually there are many Christians who have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them who have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They've never received it. They die and go to heaven with us. But they're not empowered by the Spirit. that's I think a fair rendition of historic Pentecostalism to which I found myself in my first 10 years so now let's go back and ask the question in the New Testament what is this what is this term what is he referring to when he says the baptism in the Holy Spirit first of all the term With the verb baptize and then the prepositional phrase in the Spirit as the thing one is being dunked into, that term baptism in the Holy Spirit is used seven times in the New Testament. Really less than that? Because four of those times all refer to the same thing, right? John the Baptist. When he says, he who is coming after me, I am not worthy to untie or carry his sandals. Look, I baptize you with water. But he, referring to Jesus, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And so that's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's four of them. So other than that, dealing with that one occasion, there are three other times in the New Testament the term is used. Two of them are in the book of Acts. The first one is our main text this morning. Verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Wait for the promise of the Father which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in the flow of Luke's writing, it is clear this refers to what happens in chapter 2, verse 4, on the day of Pentecost, when he writes, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that's the first time. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Luke That phrase is one other time in in the book of Acts. And that's Acts 11. After Peter, which we read a little bit, he went to Cornelius' house, preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell. They spoke in tongues, etc. Peter goes back to Jerusalem, and he has some accountability to deal with why he even ate with Gentiles. And this is what Peter says about that experience at Cornelius' house. And I remembered the word of the Lord. How Jesus said to us, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, the last or other, one other time that phrase is used in the New Testament is by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 13, Paul writes to the Corinthians, For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Now, here's I'm just going to give you a forewarn for the next three and a half four minutes. Don't miss a word I say. What I'm going to say is going to be hard to follow because I'm trying to make it as clear as I possibly can. But I need to do that. This is a significant verse. First of all, the New American Standard Bible, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the Revised Standard Version, all translate first Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 this way by one spirit we were all baptized into one body see that translation by One Spirit, in other words the Holy Spirit is the agent doing the baptism, allows Pentecostals to argue that this is not at all about baptism in the Holy Spirit. In those other six passages. Because in the other six times the phrase is used, it clearly, and they're correct about this, refers to Jesus, the agent, doing the baptizing with or in the Spirit. See, if I were to baptize someone this morning, I would be baptizing her in the element of water. In those other six occasions, Jesus is baptizing the persons in the element of the Holy Spirit. But Pentecostal theology will say, here in 1 Corinthians, it's clear, Jesus is not doing the baptizing. The Holy Spirit is doing the baptizing. It is by the Spirit baptizing into the body of Christ. And that's important for them to say. Because if it does refer to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, in the same way the other passages do, it's hard to hold on to the prescription of the normality of subsequence or time gap between new birth and that. Because down the road as Paul writes to the Corinthians he just assumes if you're in Christ you've all been baptized into the Holy Spirit. So I don't know. Okay. You can listen to that again if it Helps you, but that that's what he would be assuming. But no, there's a possibility. Is the spirit the agent that does the baptizing into the body? So the spirit, in other words, that would mean he comes, and this is true about the spirit. The question is, is it true here? The Holy Spirit comes and he plunges one into Into the body. Or causes new birth. And they are now in Christ. All Christians. And those translations allow you to do it. But I don't think it's a good translation. From the Greek. And here's the reason why. It's essentially the same exact wording is all other six. With the verb to baptize, and then the prepositional phrase with the Greek preposition in, all seven of them have it, in the Spirit. And so, if in all other six verb, baptized in the Spirit, is referring to Jesus baptizing in the element of the Spirit. It seems strange not to see it here. And therefore, I think the English Standard Version, which probably most of you have, they get it right by translating it in one Spirit. We have been baptized into one body. And the point is this. Down the road, this is my point. Down the road, as Paul writes now in the 50s to the Corinthians, if people, in hearing the gospel, born again, they come to saving faith, he assumes they have also been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The norm is that these two, again, let's be clear, Joe, what do you think? The norm is that as the Spirit works in new birth and bringing one alive to faith, they are also throughout church history, the norm is this, being baptized in the Holy Spirit because it's clear that with Pentecost, the Spirit has been poured out. Okay, so that brings us then to the question of how do we understand in the book of Acts the time gaps that are going on. So, here I go. but Let let me make clear that new birth and baptism in the Holy Spirit are not the same. They are distinct. New birth is coming alive. Saving faith is produced in one. And baptism and of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit's empowerment for ministry and for witness, for body life. That's what it is. Jesus says you're going to be filled with power, with enablement. Okay. So then, Here's the large picture of how I see it in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, what is happening there is this public transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. Jesus, wait, don't do anything, just wait. And so the day of Pentecost hits. And there's a huge difference between the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant. During the Old Covenant time period, not all of God's people were baptized in the Spirit had the outpouring of the Spirit for ministry upon them. Now let's stop a minute. I don't mean all Jews or all Israel. I mean genuine believers. All the remnant in the old covenant time period did not have the fullness of the Spirit available. Only a few did. Like prophets... Priests, kings, judges he would raise up. Moses clearly was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he's having trouble trying to do everything. And let's get 70 elders to help them. And a portion of the Spirit that is upon Moses is given to the 70. And then Joshua, who loved the presence of the Spirit, walks around in the camp. And he starts to get all upset because these guys are prophesying. And Moses says, to Joshua, Joshua, calm down. Oh, I wish that all God's people would prophesy. I wish that the Spirit were upon all of God's people. But throughout the old covenant period, he's not. He may be in the remnant, but not upon them all. So then, through the prophets, we get these predictions, foretelling. What will happen one day? Like Joel, right? Prophesying about God will pour out His Spirit upon all of His people. Not just the apostles or priests, kings, or some leaders, but all of them. Every one of them. And the prophecy just said, for hundreds of years. And then in the wilderness comes a voice crying. His name is John. Preparing the way for Jesus to come. Look, guys, you need to come here. You need to prepare your hearts. You need to repent of your sin. Look, I baptize you with water for repentance. But, one's coming. Jesus is coming. And He will bring fulfillment to those prophecies. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes, and he suffers, and he dies, and he rises, and for 40 days, he does what he needs to do to the apostles and to others. And he says, now wait. And the day of Pentecost hits It is the fulfillment of the prophecies of God pouring out in fullness His Holy Spirit precisely because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And so on that day, there's a big ruckus. It pours out into the street. These people are babbling away. It's Pentecost. Hundreds of thousands of people have matriculated Jews to Jerusalem for the festival. And they're all speaking in tongues and praising God. And that person's hearing it in their language. That person's hearing it in their home language. That person's hearing it in this. And what has happened is these people don't even know those languages. They're Galileans. And so Peter gets up and he explains, saying, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only 9 a.m. in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Quote, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on male slaves and female slaves. In those days, I will pour out My Spirit, and they shall all prophesy. So what we see in that upper room of those 120 believers, that they were already previously born again. Then they received what Jesus called the baptism in the Holy Spirit subsequent to their new birth. Why? The answer is because of the time that they live in the redemptive historical timeline from old covenant to new covenant fulfillment. So Jesus tells them, don't do anything, just wait. Right here in Jerusalem for the clear public sign of the historical transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And Peter says, this is it. This is what you see. Joel foretold it. God has fulfilled His promise to pour out His Spirit upon all of His people from the greatest to the least. And since the transition period then, since that period, we're way beyond it. Those two distinct works of God the Holy Spirit in new birth and in outpouring by Jesus being baptized, they happened essentially, that's what I think, at the same time. Pentecost, was the anomaly. It was God's purpose to have them wait and to have this public show with thousands of Jews around them fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies that God would pour out His Holy Spirit like never before. Okay then, what about the other accounts of the time gap in Acts? So you turn then to Acts chapter 8. These are not Jews. They're half-breed Jews and they're considered heretics. They're Samaritans, and the Jews hated them, and vice versa. And Philip, the deacon, goes over there and he preaches Jesus. And they believe. They received it. Yes, they were born again by the Holy Spirit. But they were not baptized in the Spirit yet. Or they had not received the Spirit is the way the text says it yet. So why? What's going on? The answer is the context what Luke is up to in the way he structures his narrative of the book of Acts. Luke's purpose is to show that Christianity as a whole is universal. It's not just Jewish. It comes from the Jews starting with Jerusalem and then it goes all the peoples and cultures and races of the world. Remember, Luke was a very dear friend and close companion of the Apostle Paul. Luke knew the tension in the early church, in the division between the question of people of what is the place of non Jews in the church. And that's why we see at the very beginning of Luke's narrative of the book of Acts this large structural table of contents of how he outlines it. Chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses to the Jews in Jerusalem and all Judea. And then to the Samaritans, half-breed Jews, in Samaria. And then to the end of the earth. Gentile bacon sandwich-eating scumbags. And so he shows to the Jews in Jerusalem. And it moves outward into Judea, and then to the hated Samaritans. And then, finally, to the idolatrous pagan Gentiles. So on the day of Pentecost... Massive Pentecost feast. The outpouring is public. What is this? And Peter's got an audience. And he tells him what it is, and 3,000 are converted that day and baptized in the Spirit. Doesn't say that. I know. Are you against it? Of course they were. Then, in the subsequent outpourings of the book, of acts where we see the essentially the same thing happening believers are baptized in the holy spirit chapter 8 chapter 10 chapter 19 as an extension of what happened to the jews in jerusalem extended to the other people groups down the road that's luke's structure That's how he structures acts. So when you come to chapter 8, here's Philip, not the apostle, but Philip the deacon in Samaria. He preaches. They get born again. They're saved. He baptizes them in water. But there were no apostles there to witness this. And so... They sent back to Jerusalem to tell them what happened and send us some apostles, the leaders. And they sent to them Peter and John. Takes time to get back 30 miles, no trains, no buses, and come all the way to Samaria, another 30 miles. And they get there, and we read Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. What's happening? God in His sovereignty, because of the time transition from AD 33, AD 50, when all this stuff is happening, He withheld the outpouring of the Holy Spirit until the apostles get there. So they can be right there, witness it, and go back to Jerusalem and say, what are we to do? Whether some of us in our sin even don't want any of them to be saved in Jesus. They are. They receive the Holy Spirit just as we did. Who are we to say they're not our equals now in the church or in Christ? Samaritans are being saved. They're not second class citizens. In the church, that's why he does it that way. You turn to chapter ten, and when you do, Peter's in Cornelius' house. You don't see a time gap between coming to faith and the baptism of the Spirit. Well, you don't need a time gap. Peter's already there. He's the one doing the preaching. Verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Stinking, unclean Gentiles. Peter gets back to Jerusalem, and there are a lot of fellow Christian Jews who are angry about it. You ate Gentile food? And Peter says, yes, I did. And I'm just like you, fellow Jews. We don't do that. We eat according to Leviticus, kosher. But God gave me a vision. When I was in Joppa, And he put all those animals from Leviticus in that sheet and he told me to kill and eat them. And I said, no. And he did it again. I said, no, God. I did it again. Well, well, Okay, I guess I have to. And he showed me. And he told me someone sent from the centurion. He's going to come and say, please come with us. I want you to come to the house of uh, uh, Cornelius. And he wants to hear what you have to say. God told me to go, guys. And so I went. And he tells him what happens at Cornelius' house and what manifestly happened with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then in that council in Jerusalem, Peter said it this way in chapter 11, verses 16 18. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit if then God gave the same gift to them the Gentiles as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus who was I that I could stand in God's way when they heard these things from Peter they fell silent and they glorified God saying then To non-Jews also. God has granted repentance. That leads to life. That's why he did it. And years later. To the ends of the earth. In chapter 19 verse 6. We read. When Paul had laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesy. So these other accounts, Pentecost, and then these other accounts in the book of Acts, they are Pentecost. They are Pentecost extended outward to make clear to the church and to the leadership of the church that yes, Jesus has baptized these other groups also in the Holy Spirit. They are to be included into the one body of Christ. So the Pentecostal idea or theology that you should expect a time gap between new birth And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I argue, is not the norm. Luke is not prescribing it, he's describing it in what happened in the transition. Pentecost, then, extended to chapter 8, chapter 10, and chapter 19. Therefore, there is not a two-tier Christianity. There are not super spiritual Christians, and then those others, by lack of baptism in the Spirit, also saved and belong to Jesus, but another lower tier of Christian. There are not within the church haves. And then, they have not Christians. They just haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But instead, as Paul would later say, down the road and writing to the Corinthians, you're all in the body of Christ, then you've all been baptized into the Holy Spirit. Alright, so... Let me, I don't want to be misunderstood, so let me... Pentecostalism, even that term, this is, this is new in church history, over the last hundred, twelve years, and I... if you know me, I'm very careful about the distinction of criticizing one's theology from criticizing their experience. Okay, What I mean by that is, in Pentecostalism and then later without getting into technicalities of this from the 1960s on and the charismatic movement and then all kinds of branches and all kinds of theology that comes from the third wave and all that kind of of stuff I am positive many people have experienced great blessing from God through Jesus Christ in the midst of those movements. Okay. Often, this is how I look at it. What I think has happened, if you go from way back even, or when I come, I'm a Johnny come lately and I come to Jesus in 1981. What often happens when you got professing believers that would come and their life changes because they went to a quote-unquote charismatic or Pentecostal meeting, there's a couple things that I think can happen. One is this. Even though they're already members of churches, maybe grew up in Christianity, they do their religious thing, it's traditional, they're really, you know, but they're just kind of like, bored. And then they hear something said in a a different way, with a, a different kind of passion, and they're awakened. And their life is changed. For decades. There's an excitement about Jesus. For many of those, I think what actually happened is they got born again. We're talking about all of them. But they got born again. They didn't know what to call it. And so they're told, no, 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 you didn't get born again. See, you're already a Christian. In your mind, you always agreed with the gospel. Yeah, I do not want to go to hell, and I believe Jesus was risen from the dead. Okay, see, you're already a Christian. What happened to you is you got the second blessing. That's what you're to tell people, and so that's what they believe, and that's how they tell their testimony. Okay, secondly, I think there are real born-again persons (laughs) who would experience in the culture of Pentecostalism and charismatic movement, or who knows how many other things that spring out of it, something's changed in them. They were really Christians. Now they're on fire. And what happened to them... Was not that they got that one-time second blessing, baptism in the Holy Spirit? What happened to them is a wake sleeper arise from the dead. They're being driven by just the doldrums of their sinful nature and flesh, and no one's encouraging them in the church about it, or etc. But this. Emphasis on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit awakened them. And they are being filled with the Spirit. Which is a biblical term. You can be less filled and more filled. Or Paul would never write to the Ephesians and tell Christians, Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk With alcohol. Okay, see the influence? Alcohol. It messes with you. You feel something. Yes. Do you not want to feel? Be filled with the Spirit. And so they are. So do not think, in what I have said this morning, that in any way I am disdaining or disparaging Anyone's experience necessarily. Do not think that I don't think that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people over the last century in the context of Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement have not had profound saving and empowerment for ministry experiences. I do think they have. Here's the difference. When people's testimony is that they have an experience of a renewed, invigorated passion for Jesus, for the Bible, and this one's key, for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, of loving others, for evangelism, and all of that in the midst of the culture of Pentecostalism or the charismatic movement, I'm not at all challenging their personal experience. I'm just saying that our experiences of being a Christian, of being filled with the Spirit, of sanctification, and on and on, our experiences are one thing. But our interpretations of what we say about them and try to connect them to the Bible, that's another thing. I'm just saying, we are going through Acts. Jesus says, wait, because you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's his promise to all who come to Him in faith. Do you love Him? You have it. Here's where we all need encouragement. Be filled with the Spirit. You can be overwhelmed in your worship one day, bearing fruit in your marriage, with your children, in evangelism, with actually serving others, going out of your way. And one week later, you're just overwhelmed with your flesh and not the Spirit. We are desperate. Here's the thing. Jesus fulfilled the promises. He purchased our right To not only come alive to Him and believe, but to ongoingly be empowered and energized to repent, to give, to love, to worship, and to serve. All I'm saying is, I think theology is important. And therefore, I spoke about it. Right or wrong, I'd love to argue if someone disagrees, and let's just go back to Scripture where I want to be honest, that there is not a second blessing in the timeline of normal Christianity in order to get. That's just the wrong turn to put on baptism of the Holy Spirit. But look, experientially, we're not different. We're agree. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be satisfied with not coming under the influence of the Spirit which produces affections in our hearts instead of mere, dead traditionalism. Covet the work of the Spirit. The idea that there are two stages of Christian's Is not right. Two levels of Christians. Spiritual and unspiritual. That's what's unbiblical. But every Christian is desperate day by day to be again and again filled. The waters of the Word of God by the Spirit of God whelming up within us. And, oh, were those apostles and Jesus' mother and all the other uh, 108 or so persons in that upper room. They were filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank You, Lord Jesus. you had your Apostle John record so much of his work in our lives, in his Gospel. Oh, may we sit and read you. Oh, we thank you that you have poured out the love of God into our hearts. Crying out affectionately, Abba, Father. May every person, young, old, and in the middle, cry out to you to not be satisfied with dryness, but to want to be soaked in the presence of your Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ.